This podcast is on film and subversion. But first, I want to take a step back and talk about the three major themes that run through this course. Three themes that shape each lesson, but especially this one on film. The first is that subversion focuses on internally weakening a government. You are not fighting directly, but instead causing collapse, a weakening, or at least a distraction. This is a case of how Chinese feel about U.S. films and entertainment, that U.S. films are subverting the Chinese government and its ideology and its policies. The second is that subversion is executed with indirect and subtle means. This can be seen in Chinese influence of the U.S. film industry. Um, it's not always subtle, but very times the very many times the effects downstream, which I'll describe at the end of the podcast, are subtle. Plus, many moviegoers, both in China and the U.S., are unaware of this type of influence. So that's where the indirect and the subtle come into play. And the third is that subversion exploits existing narratives and networks typically, especially exacerbating schisms that already exist. This is something China is afraid of with the U.S. film industry uh, reaching some U.S., excuse me, some Chinese audiences. And I'm talking about films that have not passed the uh, Chinese censors. Specifically, in this podcast, I want to continue to focus on China's influence in film. In one respect, China's influence is an anti-subversion campaign. They do not want U.S. films subverting Chinese ideals of Chinese communists as heroes, sovereignty to include recognition of Taiwan, and the ideals of country before self, very importantly. In another respect, Chinese outsized influence on U.S. films may be considered subversion. It not only ensures that many blockbuster, large-budget action movies must pass muster in order to play for a Chinese audience, but arguably scrubs independent thinking and creating in Hollywood, while disallowing audiences to see Chinese crimes against humanity, their hold over Taiwan and Tibet and Hong Kong, their authoritarianism, the ravaging of the environment to include rivers with dying life and cities that are sometimes barely breathable, and the allowance of certain types of wet markets that have been the perfect breeding ground for pandemics for some decades now, or anything that shows even both sides of an idea about CCP-controlled country or the CCP-controlled country. So now I want to move very quickly before we go back to China on um, some of the ideas that are in the film about propaganda and Goebbels. And I'm quoting here from a number of people uh, in that short film or YouTube video. Goebbels saw film as the medium best able to work powerfully on the subconscious. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the relationship of the audience member to a film when you actually go to the theater in seminar. Another quote, this in this case quoting Goebbels, don't come to me with political material. All political films have turned out dreadfully. Political films were useless. And that entertainment was the best propaganda. So now I want to talk about the film Hero. 
Now, there are spoilers ahead. I recommend it's an interesting movie. It's a beautifully shot movie. It's a frustrating movie, too. But I have to talk about spoilers in order to talk about this case study. So, and here I'm quoting and paraphrasing from the South China Morning Post, who have done a better job of summarizing the film than I could probably do. I did see the film in the theaters, and I've seen it a few times since. In 230 BCE, it takes place during the China's uh, Warring States period. The country was divided into seven warring kingdoms, each vying for supremacy. The tyrannical King Qin finally defeated six rival kingdoms in a series of brutal campaigns, unifying China for the first time. And I'm continuing to quote from South China Morning Post, but I'll be adding a little bit of uh, color and commentary. Nameless, an unknown swordsman, this is the, pro uh, the protagonist, this is the hero for which the movie is named, devised an invincible plan, an invincible attack move that will allow him to kill the king from a hundred paces, the closest that anyone is allowed to come to the king. This is out of vengeance for his family who were killed in these wars. Previous uh, failed assassin, Broken Sword, convinces earlier in the movie, Nameless, that's our hero, that national unity is preferable to chaos, even if that unity is brought about by a murderous tyrant. The assassination attempt is ultimately abandoned by the hero in a very dramatic fashion, which we'll be seeing, allowing the king to continue with his bloody conquests and then to unite China. So let's look at the nature of the agent here. And I'm talking about the director. He was a seemingly trusted and seemingly independent agent as the source of this propaganda. Before the film Hero, director Zhang, his films were accused of, and I'm quoting here, uh, allegorical attacks on China's authoritarian political system. So he played the best type of agent. He was someone that seemed to be against the Chinese regime in Beijing, yet he was making a film very much in uh, pro the CCP in Beijing. Zhang has stated time and again that Hero is, and I quote, an art film in a martial arts movie. So it doesn't appear to be propaganda. He's saying, hey, this is entertainment. This is art. This is not propaganda. Zhang has actually come out and said that his film is apolitical. Kind of raises some red flags why, would why he would have to say that. When in fact, if you do see this film, it is directly and blatantly and, and flagrantly supportive of CCP goals. So let's look at some of the overt tools of the film industry. The CCP has a quota of foreign films every year that can play in China. So there's fierce competition for over one and a half billion Chinese moviegoers. So even if a bad film in the U.S. fails to make money, if it can be released in China, they can make up for those profits and more. So there's a Kata's industry actually to partner up, to get around this quota, to partner up Chinese and U.S. studios. Again, this gets, gets them around the quota. But they have to involve Chinese casts, and Chinese locations, and most importantly, Chinese censors, not only on set, but in the writing of the film, or at least in the final drafts of the screenplay. 
There is also Chinese partial ownership or investment in a number of production and parent companies in Hollywood itself. So there's economic influence. So let's look at some obvious CCP wins, and this is just a very tiny sample. Taiwan's flag was removed from the upcoming movie Top Gun Maverick. The Tibetan character from Doctor Strange disappeared. Communist Party uh, are the heroes, or some of the heroes, in Transformers Age of Extinction. And MGM digitally changed the 2012, in my opinion, awful remake, but the 2012 Red Dawn villains from Chinese to North Koreans. So that's a very obvious win for the CCP. And there's occasional outliers too. Uh, for example, Quentin Tarantino refusing to change the Bruce Lee character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Bruce Lee is shown perhaps in a slightly negative light. Now I'm going to quote here from film critic and filmmaker James Tager from a 2020 article. Censorship is more sophisticated than the state simply taking scissors to reels of film or removing digital frames from massive files. Over time, writers and creators don't even conceive of ideas, stories, or characters that would flout the rules. That's the rules of the CCP. Because there is no point in doing so. If you want to get a film made, if you want to make a living as a screenplay writer, you shouldn't have China as the villains or talk openly about things that are happening in China. He goes on to say, the orthodoxies press down imperceptibly and the parameters of the imagination are permanently circumscribed. So this is where we get that subtle subversion. And I go on to quote uh, Sonny Bunch, a film critic and writer, this dynamic doesn't just keep new ideas away from Chinese consumers, it has allowed an authoritarian nation state to insert its own propaganda into American films. And so some questions for us to consider for the seminar. Should, should movies with Chinese or foreign investment be labeled? Something to think about. Should movies affected by Chinese or other government censorship be labeled? So movies with investment and movies that have been affected or influenced by China, should they be labeled? The MPA ratings exist, for example, in U.S. mainstream films, and they even have very specific descriptors, such as historical smoking will be in a certain film to allow parents to make a sound decision on whether or not they want to bring their kids uh, to a particular movie. Thank you.